Welcome to Day 6 Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Swick. On this show, we share testimonies from all aspects of the equine industry that will inspire you to pursue your purpose, optimize your potential, and prevail in peace. If you want to get more out of life and build your legacy-worthy lifestyle, we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com to stay connected. Welcome back to Day 6 Ranch Podcast. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say fall is officially here. It's been a wonderful week here in North Texas. We've actually had quite a bit of rain. Grass is starting to green up again and the horses are happy. This summer was extremely busy for us and we were blessed to have several opportunities within the horse industry and the warrior space to not only share the mission and purpose of Day 6 Ranch, but also had the opportunity to meet some incredible people within the Western and warrior industries. Our last formal event for September was this week at a local law enforcement program where we spent some time discussing leadership and mental health within the law enforcement space. Starting in October, we'll be headed down to the Metroplex to speak with a larger agency there, and those discussions will be focused on resilience and human performance. Now, if you haven't checked out our faith-based series titled White Horse Ramuda, which we're blessed to co-host with J.R. Vazane, well, that show has morphed into an opportunity that we're developing for the National Finals Rodeo this year in Las Vegas, December 6th through the 17th. Our event is still in the making and there's plenty of plans that we're trying to firm up. However, if you'll be in Vegas for the NFR, we encourage you to stay connected with Day 6 Ranch through any of our social media outlets, or you can sign up for our monthly newsletter at day6ranch.com, where we'll be releasing details on the event as they are solidified. This week on Day 6 Ranch Podcast, we host Nate Iker of Iker Ranch. Nate is an incredible horseman who lives about an hour from us here in North Texas and has incredible experience in developing the foundation of the horses that he handles and trains. Now, Nate's got a pretty busy fall, and coming up in the end of October, he'll be performing at an event put on by Bobby Kerr. Then in November, he'll be competing in the Extreme Cowboy Race Finals, and then we'll be spending the rest of the year gearing up for the Mustang Magic Freestyle held during the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo in January. To stay connected with Nate, you can visit Iker Ranch on Facebook and learn more about his training program, public events, and opportunities to grow your horsemanship. Again, we cannot thank you enough for your continued support of Day 6 Ranch Podcast and all we have going on at Day 6 Ranch. To learn more about opportunities we'll be participating in, not only within the Western or Warrior Industries, we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com. And again, sign up for that monthly newsletter to have first opportunity at educational experiences, public appearances, and all things Day 6 Ranch. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Nate Iker. Well, Nate, we thank you very much for setting some time aside and joining us here at Day 6 Ranch Podcast and looking forward to spending the next little bit of time getting to know each other and talk horses a little bit. But let's start with what's new around uh, Iker Ranch. Hey, Jason, it's great to be on your podcast i appreciate you having me yes what's new around Iker ranch well we're excited to be getting out of the the hot season <laughs> ain't that the truth <laughs> you and me I'm both hoping my this friend. Is the last week <laughs> yeah i'm hoping this is the last week of it and we can get back to normal hours but we've you know we got a fall clinic coming up a three-day clinic where working towards that and got a couple of shows coming up this winter and kind of a consistent winter are huh? you uh doing an event at the end of october with bobby kerr yes sure am so he he put on a deal last year where 
you know, he did some stuff uh, with with his Mustangs and did some demos, and they had a band there and some vendors and stuff like that, uh, a dinner, and kind of the same deal this year, and just be a good time, you know, go. Yeah, yeah it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, see a lot of different things and do a little shopping, I guess. Heck, yeah. So we like to start every show with a little bit of the guest's history. So let's talk about your start with horses. And I know you do a lot of work with the Mustangs and a lot of what you focus on is foundational training. But where does your journey start with the horse? You know, it's interesting with the Mustangs. When I was, oh, I want to say 11 or 12, my dad took us boys to, uh, to a Mustang adoption and we had a couple ponies, you know, we had a pony and I think another horse before then, but for some reason he took us this, to this Mustang adoption and we adopted, uh, three of them, I believe. And I didn't know, really know anything about horses back then as far as training, but we somehow got, got them riding and. You know, we had a lot of fun with them. We we did overnight camp trips, and me and my brothers and our friends, and we did it with those Mustangs. That journey started back when I was 11 or 12. Um, we had a pony. Our first pony we got when I was, I think, 10 maybe. And, you know, I was biking back and forth to this dairy farm I helped out at in the afternoons and this pony was beside this this it was beside the road where I'd bike by in a pasture and just sitting there every day just doing nothing and finally I I was like asked my dad and mom if we could go ask them if they'd sell that pony so we did and the guy wanted 75 bucks for him oh dang so, <laughs> so yeah, break out the back, checkbook. <laughs> yeah, back then it was you know that was a lot of money for us, and what we did is we picked up walnuts to pay for it. Us us kids would pick oh, up no bags kid. of walnuts and yeah. go get them shelled, and they'd weigh them. Give us, I think they gave us ten dollars a bag, maybe uh, something like that. Yeah. But anyways, we we worked for it, but we finally got it and had a lot of fun with that pony. That's cool. So when did your interest in pursuing the training side of it start to kick up? I mean, you talk about a lot of the fun that you had with those Mustangs when you were young and the overnight rides and things of that sort. When did you start focusing or when did that interest first develop of, oh, there's something here. Maybe I should, maybe I should look into this. That's a good question. I don't know if I can really pinpoint the certain year it, that I started really developing an interest, but I think it kind of came through working with the pony and the mustangs and the different horses we had around there like i i mean i loved horses um, i think i got that from both sides of my family mm -hmm. and i think working with them i was like there's something i'm missing because you know you would just get so far then you'd hit a wall yeah and it's like, there's something I'm missing that I want to learn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I would say probably around 11 or 12, I started like 
kind of just slowly kind of thinking that way. And then what were some of your early influences as far as understanding and learning training? I mean, was there somebody that you worked under or how did, how did you start to pursue that knowledge in trying to break through some of those barriers? Yeah. Well, when I was 15, we, my dad used to haul cattle and livestock to a, to a sale every Tuesday and I would go with him through the years and one day we were up there in the sale barn up in a area where they had the the restaurants and they had a bulletin board there and I was just kind of wandering around and I like to go to the bulletin board and on there was a paper and it said help wanted at this local ranch and I was like, I took the number and called them. They're like, yeah, we need someone to come help clean stalls and feed horses and all that kind of stuff. And so my dad took me out and it was in a remote kind of a place. Like I did not know it was even in the area we lived at. It was kind of <laughs> on a dead end road between two mountains. Well, back in there, there was this, this really good trainer he did pleasure horses at the time. And so I started working there when I was 15. And that's, you know, I started cleaning stalls, 25 stalls and feeding all the horses and cutting grass and all that. Mm -hmm. But that's where I developed. He started teaching me a little bit along the way. Mm -hmm. So you got your start with the pleasure horse. And it's my understanding that 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 barn did some performance horse stuff as well in the realm of cutting and team roping, right? Yes, he got into, well, yeah, he, he did team roping as well, kind of at the same time. Mm -hmm. But then um, I was there six years, and in those six years, he, he kind of moved over to cutting. He still did some pleasure horses, but he moved more in the, in the cutting direction. And so, yeah, it was neat to see kind of three different disciplines yeah and i think uh, the, going the, on there the spread right i mean because a pleasure horse is far different than a team roping horse far different than a cutting horse so you're covering yes. covering quite a spread in the spectrum of training horses and and performing for a job yes it was quite a variety and like what he did was team rope to have fun you know the pleasure horses yeah. were work yeah then <laughs> You know, and that's where I learned how to rope. And man, I love to team rope. And he let me, he let me uh, get on a old horse we called Harley, and learn how to head. And that was, you know, a great experience to get on that horse and just kind of learn how to do that. Yeah. So, at what point in your journey did you kind of break off and start doing your own deal? Well, so, you know, from cleaning stalls and starting to work some horses in the round pens for him, you know, just exercising. And then he started showing me, you know, a few things about training. So I would, you know, ride some for him. And then what he let me do um, a couple years into it is he let me start taking on a client or two of my own out of his facility. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it was it was really neat, and I'm very grateful for what he did for yeah. me. Uh, but basically, he helped me build my business right out of his place, 
uh, we had plenty of stalls there and it just worked out really good. Yeah. What an incredible first experience or breakthrough yes. experience, right? Cause usually you have all the tools in the world when you're working under somebody and then when it's time to break out on your own, there's zero capital and zero facility to try to launch a business from. Right. Right. Exactly. Interesting. So <laughs> what were the clients that you, at first, are you taking anything and everything or are you focusing more in that, that Western pleasure world or? I was taking anything at first and, you know, probably the worst, the toughest horse I had was an older Arabian, a lady sent me early on. I mean, that thing was, that horse was just as loony as they come. And, <laughs> you know, so I was, I was taking everything and just trying to make them better. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And through that time, I also bought uh, $500 worth of Clinton Anderson tapes, videotapes. And cause I, you know, I seen the style that Rob had, you know, that mm -hmm. I was working on the guy I was working under and, and I kind of wanted to create my own style. Mm -hmm. So I was like, just, you know, I wanted to watch the Clinton Anderson and get more in depth on the foundation. And so that helped me a lot back then. Um, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily use all that stuff now, but back then it was, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Good first exposure. So how was mm -hmm. your, how has your training progressed over the years or the evolution of your training taking place as far as your philosophy and your approach, you know, where you kind of started and, and how it's transformed into what it is today? Well, you know, I think just working through so many horses over the years has helped me develop kind of what I want to see out of a horse. And, uh, it's, it's kind of a hard question to answer, um, directly, I guess. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm going on close to 25 years now that I've, from when I started and it's like the longer I do it, the more the horses teach me to be quieter with my hands and just move slower mm -hmm. and be more patient. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, when I watch videos from back then, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. The difference, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, I, uh, really, you know, thinking about it, how it was back then when I started to how it developed over the years, like I really tried to create more of a quiet horse, mm -hmm. quiet, but responsive, mm -hmm. you know, and patience is a big deal. You know, I think I understand in the training world that we got to get stuff done and there has to be timelines and things of that sort. But when when a lot of that training is focused on a timeline and timeline only, or more importantly on a timeline than a skill set, you start to run into some problems, right? Because people will progress horses faster than they can or faster than the horse should. Yes. And although you're getting something done in the short term, I think in the long term, you're kind of setting up that horse for some failures or some inadequacies. And it's a, I can't say that there's a right or a wrong answer, but there's got to be some sort of balance as far as challenging the horse appropriately to get things accomplished, but not overwhelming them and just mashing a bunch down their throat. You know, that's such a hard balance when you have a timeline. I did a lot of Mustang makeovers and you got a four month timeline. 
And I've done some other shows as well, but the makeovers are probably almost the hardest because you have the shortest amount of time before you have to show in front of thousands of people. Yeah. And it's such a hard balance to keep them quiet and focused without rushing them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's very hard to do. And I'm very fortunate, like the customers, the clients I have right now, I've been able to develop a clientele that they don't really have as much of a timeline. And oh, so that's a I huge can, advantage. It is. It, if someone's in a rush to get something done with their horse, like I can't really help them. But the, the neat thing is I still get done in say four months, what I would normally get done, even though I'm not trying very hard mm-hmm. where, you know what I mean? I'm trying yes, hard. I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm in a rush. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, that's, it represents a completely different energy too. When you're on that horse or working with that horse, when you're in there and you have the compression of time and you're rushed as a result of time, or you're just, Hey, I got to get the horse in. So let me get 15 minutes with him, 20 minutes with him, an hour with him, whatever you set aside. I think, you as a human, there's a lesser product going in to, to serve that horse, right? And you might push past some things or be blind to a few things. And I mean, it could create its challenges down the road or, or as the progression goes, it could start to get a lot more and more difficult. Yes, for sure. Yeah. If you rush that foundation, I mean, things, the problems will pop up sooner or later. Yeah. So let's talk about some of your experiences. I mean, you've done extreme cowboy work. You've done a bunch of these Mustang deals, competed in Road to the Horse. Let's talk about some of those experiences and where you're at in your training and kind of some of the takeaways that you had from them. But like Road to the Horse, that was so much different than anything I ever did because, uh, you know, there again, you're on a timeline. Yes, sir. And you got to do so much in three days. Mm-hmm. So I had to completely rethink my program as far as how to get from point A to point C, basically, over those three days. Yeah. And it was very good for me to, for me to kind of strategize that way. And how do no. you how do you manage? I mean, that's obviously we're at Road to the Horse last year. That's kind of how we first got connected in person. Yes, that's an extremely compressed timeline, and all the competitors achieved so much in that time frame. But let's talk through some of the strategy and finding that balance of pushing the horse and getting stuff done without completely frying the horse. Yes, that's it. Is a, an extremely compressed timeline, and. You know, it really comes back to rewarding the try. So if, like, my main object, objective with a horse is if they try for me, uh, I'm going to reward them. And if I get, like, three tries on a certain area I'm working on, I'm going to reward that and move on to something else. And then I might come back to it. Mm-hmm. And so that that worked pretty good for road to the horse. I just had to be very focused and very efficient with knowing exactly the things I needed and the things I didn't need for, for that third day. Very much so. 
So explain to us kind of the, the horse that you got at Road to the Horse and versus what you were looking for in a horse. Well, the, the horse I got, Old Red, he, you know, he's put together really good. I was looking for one that was put together good and had a kind eye. Uh, his eyes were a little, had a little more white in them than I was kind of wanting, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was kind of the draw I had, yeah. you know, I had, yeah. couldn't necessarily get my first pick, but he was put together good. He was big and strong. And for those deals, like from kind of researching what they do for road to the horse, they said you need a big, strong horse because they might not get to the third day if you get one that's a little weaker like Mm -hmm. they might just start shutting down yeah and so that's kind of what i was after as well and then when i did get him and started working with him i found out that he was just super sticky like he needed a big open arena to work from the first day (laughs) yeah you know so that was the main problem or thing to work through with him in that you know in those tiny round pins Mm -hmm. and then as as the training progressed over those couple days how did he respond you know he he really did good i i feel like i just kept rewarding that try and i spent a lot of time on the groundwork part of it the first day and got on him and i just made sure that was solid Mm-hmm. Then the second day I started, you know, doing more things with the obstacles and riding out a bit. But yeah, it was one of those things like I just kept making that foundation solid, as solid as I, solid as I could. Yeah. And the third day it really paid off. You know, he just gave me his heart. But it wasn't without some conflict. Like a horse like that, like he he's a little headstrong and he, you know, opinionated. But that's what's going to make him a good horse long term. Uh, yeah, I was going to say I think that's a preferred attribute. It might not. It yes, might not be advantageous for a three day training timeline, but yeah. in the long term, <laughs> it makes it makes it harder. That's for sure. <laughs> in the long term, yeah, in the long term, you want a horse that's going to stick up for what they believe in, or you want a horse that's going to have some confidence. And yeah, once you get that right. confidence focused, right, you get that communication dialed in. You got a right, horse that's yeah. willing to willing to air it out a little bit. Where horses that might be a little bit more timid or just go along with the program are going to lack a little luster if that's a fair way to describe it mm-hmm. so let's talk about the extreme cowboy challenges that you participate in the format of those and the horses you run through those yeah so those are really cool the extreme cowboy race um they're really neat because they're they're timed but they're also judged mm-hmm. so you know you can't just go in there and rip around and fly around and expect to get a good score like you got to put some horsemanship into it and so that's kind of what drew me to it it's it's exciting but yet you got to stay controlled yeah it's a good balance of a timed event and horsemanship yes so anyways last year a, a client of mine had a mustang here and they had a a green mustang division and they were like hey, do you want to enter this horse into it? Or actually, I think I asked them if I could because, boy, I'd have to think about how that all worked out. Mm -hmm. But it was like 
two weeks before the competition. Oh, we were like, <laughs> you know, this horse is eligible to do this. Oh, I, I know what it was. They were looking for more horses to compete in that class. Gotcha. And they called me and they were like, you know, your horse is eligible for this, your client's horse. And I was like, well, okay, I'll, I'll talk to him. And so I did. And, you know, I had a five month foundation on him already. So I just started advancing that foundation mm-hmm. uh, on those obstacles with a little bit of speed over those two weeks and went in, went there and it was his first show and yeah, he won it all, oh, which dang. was cool. Heck yeah. And so I was kind of hooked. So next year, <laughs> so this February, I took Mercedes and Mercedes is um, my good Mustang here. Yeah, He's done a lot and done a lot for me. And so I took him to a show in February and we won that one. And my son also showed his horse, his quarter horse. And we showed again in July and we'll show at the world show here in November. Where is that hosted November? It's in Glen Rose, Texas. Awesome. Awesome. That's not too far south of us. No, it's pretty close here, so it'll be a good time. Yeah, a good chance to get down. And then first of the year, you'll be back in Fort Worth for Mustang Freestyle then, correct? Yes, I was invited to do that freestyle in uh, Fort Worth there come January. So that'll be, I'll, I'll be using Mercedes for that one as well. So we're slowly getting ready for that. Yeah, coming along, coming along. So let's talk about the foundational training that you focus on and and how some of your experiences come to build out the foundation. Let's talk about skills and what you kind of look for in the horse and what you kind of progress in the horse as they work through your program. Yeah, so, you know, when a horse comes here, I'll evaluate them in a round pen. Like, I'll turn them loose in a round pen and just see how they move around and see, you know, how they're paying attention to me or how distracted they are. And I'll just build it from there. Like I, I like to do loose work in a round pen at first and just kind of get them hooked to me and build the trust right from the start. And so once I kind of have, once I have their mind, then I'll start, you know, adding the saddle and all that stuff. But the mind the mind is the most important thing to me. Like if I can get the mind through the feet, then I feel like everything else is just kind of a kind of a byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. If I get if I get them thinking my way, then I feel like from there it's just about being consistent. And I think that's maybe one of the most overlooked things about training young horses is consistency and repetition. I work my young horses here five days a week and give them off Saturday and Sunday. And I find that it it just works great because I'm consistent five days a week. I mean, the tougher ones, maybe six, but... I don't do a ton with them every day. I just work with them very consistently. And because of that, through that consistency and repetition, the horses 
learn to trust my approach. Like they learn that I'm the same guy every day. Yeah. And something else I was thinking about recently with the whole approach to two horses and like the baggage that we have in our lives. Like if, if we're bitter or if we're angry or if we're not at peace with ourselves, then when a young horse starts to go south as far as like things start to go south where they're not wanting to turn left if you want them to turn left. And it seems like if you're a little bit of an angry person or bitter or some kind of baggage, that's when it comes out. Like Yeah, the frustration. The frustration starts to come out through the horse kind of wanting to do his own thing when all they need is just a guiding hand mm-hmm. and that consistency. But it, it does affect. I was going to say, again, it's us placing, I don't want to say unreasonable expectations on the, on the horse, but you, you place an expectation and you expect a result and you're not getting that result. We automatically... I can't say we automatically, but more times than not, it, it equates to frustration rather than yes. thinking about it objectively that, hey, I'm presenting this question in a certain manner and obviously the answer is not being received. Is there another way that I can do this or can I break this? What seemingly is a easy task, can I break it down into more manageable tasks and try to achieve some of those before we have this big ask again? Right, yeah. Breaking it down, I mean... It's amazing, like, how many small steps we have to break it down to for, especially for some of those young ones and mm-hmm. even older ones that mm-hmm. they're just very fragile and you got to just break it down so much for some of them. Yeah. You probably found that. Oh, yeah. I have a horse here we're working with and she's, she might be nine and she's been started a couple times and well, this is the story that I'm being told is that one was Western Pleasure or maybe it was Barrel Racing first and then Western Pleasure. And she's not really built for either one, to be honest, mentally or <laughs> m- mentally or physically. Gotcha. But I've been trying to just get a feel for who she is and how she learns and, and what she is and isn't going to give me. And the one thing that I notice is this is an assumption because I've never seen her work, but people probably just got on her and went along for a ride. And there wasn't really any form of communication or expectation. It was just, hey, we're going to go around in circles or we're going to go really fast or we're not going to go really fast. So for her, it's been just opening up pipelines of communication really is the the, the foundation of my work with her. And it's funny. We got, oh, I don't know, four rides on her this week. And she is... She has evolved tremendously in those four rides. And I mean, they're very short, brief rides, but we did have to spend a little bit of time ahead of that. Like you talk about in the round pen, just building, hey, this is what I'm asking of you. I'm not asking anything more. I'm not asking anything less. And if you give me some form of effort and try on it, we're going to be good. Um, You don't even Mm -hmm. have to physically do what I'm asking you to do. If you just try to go in that direction, it, it builds a positive response and I think that's what she's been missing her whole entire life is that people have grabbed her and expected her to physically perform with no yeah. form of articulate communication, let alone positive affirmation for any efforts she gives. You know, that's, that's such an interesting thing. Like right now I have a horse in, it's a six year old, well-bred horse, 
but she came, she was at some of the top trainers around here mm-hmm. and she was like, she's very worried. She, she came very worried. And I was like, well, why is this horse so worried? Like she shouldn't be worried. Like she, she's bred good. She's seems good minded. Like it's not coming from a, being like a fragile minded horse or a yeah. bad minded horse. It, it feels like it's man-made. Mm-hmm. A conditioned and, response. Yeah. And so I've just been letting her kind of, like I've been turning her loose when I'm riding her and groundwork and just kind of letting her be herself, letting her breathe. And I just slowly ask for things and my follow-through is very slow. And... It's been a week, I believe, a week, week and a half, and that horse is so much more relaxed already. Yeah. But it's just because I slowed things down and her mind started to slow down. Like her mind was just spinning all the time. Yeah. I think about it when you describe this horse, I think about it as an extension of grace. Yeah. I I would venture to say that at some point in her training, she's made some mistakes and people have come down pretty heavy handed on her. You know, that's, I'm, I would bet. So, you know, whether they physically did or not, she perceived it as being unjust on, on some level. Right. But it's Mm -hmm. one of those things where you take a horse on like that. You almost have to allow her to make the mistakes for the purpose of teaching her that, Hey, when you make a mistake here, we're not going to treat you like that. You know, we'll just guide you back into where we need to be and start to build some of that confidence. Because I believe that if you start to hammer on these horses, when they, when they do wrong, then they get so afraid to make a mistake, they can't even think straight. That's, that is so true. You know, and then you have a horse that's basically not going to try because they're afraid they're going to get, you know, the heavy hand brought on them. And you're at a standstill at that point because we got to mm-hmm. have some form of try if we're going to get anything done in the training world. Yeah. You got to keep that try in them. Yeah. I, yeah. I love you know, I love working with young horses because, you know, when they mess up, like, let's say we're loping and they break into a trot, like, I'm not going to kick them and say, hey, let's keep loping. Yeah. I just kind of use that as, hey, let's work on our turnaround and then let's lope off again or mm-hmm. let's do some calisthenic stuff and then lope off again. But whatever they do, I have some form of other things we can work on and then we'll go back to what we were working on before and it's never it's never a punishment it's always like okay well cool let's do this then yeah we can try this too yeah and then they don't get afraid you know but there comes a point too in the natural progression of these horses that once once something has been trained and that expectation is set and you know that they understand what's being asked of them and you're asking it fairly and justly right you got to hold them accountable Um, Yes. But that's obviously for a little bit more mature horse physically and mentally. Yeah. Like the more they mature, the longer they've been in training, that mistake they're making, like, is it a mistake or is it, are they just trying to get out of something? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a difference between, yeah. There's a a difference. In in rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I'll be a little harder on them, but even then I try not to, like you were saying, like, try not to get them afraid of you because 
man, that that's force against you down the road. Well, I mean, you look at personal relationships too. I'm sure there's been somebody in your life that you just flat fear. Mm-hmm. There's always a state of uneasy when you're around people like that. That you yeah. know they're just they're explosive, they're volatile, they're uh, unreasonable, unjust in their responses, and nobody wants to be around somebody like that. So, why the heck do you think our horses do? Right. Yeah. So true. When when clients bring horses to your facility, uh, what is what is the typical client or what is the expectation that you have from most clients as far as getting this foundation done? Is it is it based on a set of skills? Is it based on a timeline? I mean, I know a lot of it's horse specific and dependent, but what's the general purpose or plan that you guys have going into to training horses? Well, you know, when like all of my clients they're all referrals. So it's, it's an interesting thing. Like we don't really talk about how far this horse is going to be in three or four months. Like mm-hmm. they, they seen what I did with their friend's horse or someone they knew that recommended me to them. And they're like, you know, they seen what that horse is like in four months yeah. and four months is kind of like the sweet spot as far as a, a foundation. Mm-hmm. They're still green broke. And that's kind of what I tell them in four months. You're going to, if your horse is good minded, you're going to have a horse that can lope around, stop, turn, you know, everything's basic, you know, but I'll be riding it out. We'll be doing obstacles. We'll be dragging things. And, you know, if their horse is a tougher horse, then it might take longer than that. But I basically communicate with them every week or a couple times a month. And we just talk about where this horse is at because every horse is different. So, yeah. like, in first, it here's the interesting thing, too. I spend, sometimes I'll spend a whole month in the round pen with certain horses. In fact, like, there's been a horse I've spent a month and a half in the round pen just working on that foundation like it's a really fragile horse. Mm-hmm. And But when I get out, like, when I get out of the round pen, I'm almost trail riding. Like, it's, like, you can do so much in there, but it's such a controlled environment that they they can learn a lot better, those types of horses. So I'm not afraid to take my time in a controlled environment if I need to. Then there's others where the second day I'm riding the fields because they're so sucked back, like they need to open up. Yeah. So I'll take Experience them down the, world. the field. Yep. And they, but they all kind of end up at the same place down the road. Mm-hmm. It's just a different approach with, with each one. Yeah. And that's, so that's what I try to explain to my clients is I start in the round pen with your horse and I, I work on that mind and that trust. And then we just see where, where it goes from there as far as the timeline of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, what's nice about clients that, that are referred, you know, referrals is they trust you already. Yeah. So I don't have to, try to talk them into what their horse is going to be doing. Yeah. The product's already spoken for itself. Yep. And so all they have to do, you know, they come here, they drop their horse off. We visit, we talk about that a little bit and we're good to go. Yeah. That does make it nice. 
That's for darn sure. Yes, sir. It's it's one of those things that Rob taught me early on, and I was so fortunate that he he taught me like valuable things like that. Mm-hmm. As far as with clients, like because if people try to push you into rushing their horse, you got the wrong people. Yeah, and I think where that comes from is that it goes back to the human's expectations without the experience to substantiate yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, and what I've found, like I had a few of those in the past, and it causes me to have anxiety in my heart because I'm like, oh man, I'm not meeting their expectations. Yeah, And so I'm trying, you tend to be a little harder on the horse and then you feel bad for being harder on the horse, you know, harder in the wrong kind of a way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's, boy, I've had to learn the hard way on that. Um, years ago, like, man, we don't really need to do that. No, I completely agree. And that's why for me, I mean, I just take the horses on and train the projects myself because I would prefer to control the training timeline because I'm the one out there working with the horse, right? When you start to get all this outside influence and all this noise, it just, yeah, you're just setting yourself up for some issues. And there's barns. You really are. Yeah, there's barns that can facilitate and work like that, but uh, it's just a headache I choose not to take on, really. Yes, sir. I'm with you on that. Heck yeah. Well, Nate, uh, I know you talked about a lot of your clients are referral-based, but if people are wanting to get involved with Iker Ranch and support a lot of what you have going on, how do they get a hold of you and where can they follow you? So we're on social media at Iker Ranch on uh, Facebook and Instagram. We are working on getting our website up, but that is not currently there yet. Boy, is that a headache. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. I need a, someone that's a little more techie than myself. Yeah. I'm rolling in the same canoe, my friend. (laughs) So as we wrap every show, we kind of like to share some life advice and based on your experience in life, if you were to give previous seasons of your life advice, what advice would you share? I would say get mentors as early as you can to um, guide you in whatever endeavor you're going in, you know, whether it's horse training or, or whatever, you know, if you have someone that's kind of helping you through it, you can save yourself a lot of headache. Yeah. That's great advice. By nature, I'm kind of that person that just likes to learn it on my own, but gosh, I fumble so many times. And I think too, you know, it would be a lot easier if I had somebody telling me what to do, but there's that constant internal struggle of, well, I don't want to be told how to do it. I think Gaining the experience, right? Gaining the experience on my own is how you really solidify that lesson. But there's a balance, like with most things in life, there's a balance between taking projects on on your own and knowing when you're underwater and you need a little help. Yeah, you're right. It's a balance, you know, because we need to experience some of those failures on our own. And But yeah, they, they can help us from getting in too deep on the failing part. Good stuff, Nate. Well... We cannot thank you again for setting time aside for Day Six Ranch podcast and pouring into us. And we wish you the best going into fall with all your events that you got going on. And hopefully we can't get connected a little sooner than later, huh? Hey, sounds good, Jason. I appreciate it. And 
Thanks for having me. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us on Day 6 Ranch Podcast. If you are looking to build a legacy-worthy lifestyle, we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com and stay connected through our monthly newsletter, explore our free content, and dive into our leadership and human optimization educational opportunities. As always, subscribing to our show is a huge help. But more importantly, if a message you heard today moved you, then please share the show with just one person who may benefit from the same message. We must continue to take care of our own, so stay in the fight, and we'll see you on the next one.